Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Do you feel there is a missing piece? Are you in search of peace? P-E-A-C-E. Annie Burnside is a soul nurturer and author of two books, Soul to Soul, and her latest, From Roll to Soul. Annie is here to talk about the missing piece that is rooted in self-awareness so you can lead a cohesive, whole approach to living in the modern world. Annie, hello and welcome to my show. Hello, so thrilled to be here. And uh, Our synchronistic meeting brought us together. Absolutely. I'm very thankful for that. I am thankful too. So I'm so excited to talk with you. Um, And I like how you talk about this idea of a missing piece. So first, it's missing piece, P-I-E-C-E, right? Because we're in this Mm -hmm. audio world. Um, What do you mean by that? Well, I think that, um, you know, we have a a world, as we all can plainly see, it's full of um, lots and lots of light, but also substantial dark, which is part of it. And I think that we try to shift things in our world. I don't even like to say change as much as hopefully uplift um, things in our world coming at angles that don't necessarily serve our purpose. So in other words, we feel like it's um, an economic piece, a political piece, a healthcare piece, a religious piece. And I've really found um, on my own journey that I come to really believe it's a wholeness piece. It's a, it's a self-awareness piece that if we all really um, became committed to taking a journey through our own interior and getting to know our own soul, having greater intimacy there, that that is what will truly begin to change the outer world. Each person taking that journey and really making it something that's much more acceptable to talk about, um, to raise our kids where the top priority is self-awareness. And then the knowledge comes in, not secondary, but it's... Um, the primary piece is self-awareness. And I think then our healthcare system would change just organically. Our environment would change organically because we'd be living um, with a little bit more personal integrity. So I think, you know, I think that's just one way of coming at the issues in our world. And um, I think it's an important one. So I want to, um, with the show, right, one of the things that I talk about at, at the outro of the show is that the guests that I bring on, they've gone through their own struggles and their own uncertainty. They've fallen down and gotten back up, you know, and they've fallen down and have gotten back up. And the idea is, is that the, my intention for the show is to show examples of if this is possible for my guests, what is possible yes. for you, right? And and so... That's the way it's done. I love that, yeah. And, and with the with talking about this missing piece, because so often, and I know in my own seeking that I've done in my life, it was like, oh, this is going to be the answer or this out here is going to fix this. But what you're talking about is that we need to go inside. Maybe we can, you know, like reading your book or hearing your story or, you know, there's all these other source resources out there. It might spark nuggets to bring back the awareness inside. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Very, very much so. In fact, even being a seeker, as I was uh, since the age of 19, when my parents went through a very difficult divorce, and it was the first time that I was broken open, um, someone gave me a book, Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain. And then another one quickly followed, a book by Richard Bach, who wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And it was like I was coming home (laughs) to some type of awareness that was right under the surface, but I had never... Um, been given kind of an avenue to break through to until a very difficult, uncomfortable, sad time um, when my, you know, my family broke up. And so that was just cathartic for me. And that at age 19 was actually the beginning of my self-exploratory path. And um, there have been many other dark nights of different textures, some minor, some larger. Um, It's an ongoing process but just each trusting that each will open us a little bit deeper, a little bit wider in our perspective so we can really begin to blend relative truth, what we know of being a human 
and then absolute truth, which things on a soul level that we understand and blend the two to come at the world um, and navigate the world from a third perspective, what I would call the blended perspective. How do you cultivate that trust that it's going to work out? You know, it's been, I'm now 44 and <laughs> I've been on the, uh, what I call the awakening journey for 25 years. And it's been for me, a great, it was not one big spontaneous awakening or um, huge dark nights where, I mean, just everything was absolutely different. It's been a very um, organic, natural, um, two steps forward, one step back of knowing myself better um, and really making that a priority. So that now I kind of have the understanding, at least for myself, and I think it's a, perhaps a universal truth, you know, the greatest love affair really is with your very own soul and the, uh, the going through the layers that really cover that. So it's a gradual process for most of us of integrating and moving into the capacity to live true, live from a place of self-love and um, not apologizing for it. So in, you know, all of our relationships, I'm a parent of three and almost 18 year old, 16 year old, you know, 14 year old, I've got modern life and the um, North shore of Chicago, my parent, my husband's a high school AP biology teacher. So I'm just like anyone else, but this just became something that I wanted to contemplate the nature of reality. And it just, I don't know, it's just been a top priority and it's, it's been a joyous joyous ride and, you know, very challenging too, because you're forced to look at truth, truth about yourself, about wounds that you hadn't looked at previously or shadow aspects. And when you commit to that, you just have to be willing to look at things um, a little bit more truthfully versus stuff them down or deny what is so. You know, I love the fact that you shared about, you know, you're, you're a real woman with a real life, right? So there's that commonality because sometimes I think what can happen with some of my guests, you know, because sometimes I'll be bringing, you know, people that have had these huge accomplishments or what, and it's like, okay, well, you can say that, right? I mean, for instance, um, who was it? I think it was Janine Roth. She'd been on my show and she has her eating principles and somebody had sent me an email and was like, well, you know, she has her eating guidelines, but I live in the real world and that's not possible, right? I have kids, I've got all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, but when we talk about, okay, you are like me, right? You have kids, you have a family, your husband's working. How do you, how do you integrate this stuff and go on your path in this world and practice it? And so I think a lot of my listeners can resonate with you. Yeah. I mean, simple things for me, it's been really, a. um, a path that eventually leads to no path. You're just living from soul moment to moment, day to day, soul to soul and um, coming at life a little bit, not needing there to be a certain distinct path, but little things like choices, like for example, um, Costco is pretty far <laughs> from my house. I, you know, I don't do Costco. I, I, I'm not opposed to it. I just kind of big and um, I stay much, more local. So, you know, make it, that's one thing, cross off my list immediately, a big Costco run. Um, we have a pretty small house. It's just little choices that, um, we don't realize how much we really create layers of busyness in our own lives. Um, you know, one of the ways that I've connected to my soul for the past 25 years is walking, listening to lots of music, but like Van Morrison specifically, people say, how do you connect to your soul? Oh my goodness walk on a beautiful September day and listen to Van Morrison who speaks to me such truth of really um, being present in your life and getting to the core and, and you begin to, to, to feel it. You create a friendship with your soul, but it does take prioritizing. And a lot of people think the spiritual path is about adding, adding, adding more meditation practices, more books, more workshops. For many years, I was that way too. But a few years back, it really began to hit me it's really more about shedding, mm -hmm. shedding different layers, streamlining your life, really getting to know who you are and living from that. Um, different roles. That's my book that I just wrote from role to soul. You know, yes, I'm a parent. Yes, I'm a teacher. Yes, I'm a sister. Yes, I'm a laundress. But when you start living from soul, those roles are still there, but they become secondary. And then you're relating to your life, you're relating to your children, soul to soul, not just role to role. 
and you hold both in the same place. Yes, of course, I'm aware I'm the mother and this is my son, but in the very same space simultaneously, I also am aware of a larger perspective of soul to soul. And that alone, if you just sit with that concept, soul to soul versus role to role, quietly out on your back deck or on a walk and really allow yourself to contemplate that, really there's no more almost explanation needed. You can feel the difference in relating to people that way or whether it's lawn care worker and client, lawyer to client, neighbor to neighbor, or is it really soul to soul? And um, it kind of, I had that written on my desk top for a solid month and then beyond practicing. When I go in the grocery store, is it going to be cashier to customer or am I going to stand there and remember that it's soul to soul and feel that energy? And it's just a different feeling. And the more you practice it and open to it, the more um, it's available to you. And that's how the self-awareness slowly grows. So maybe a visual cue, if this is something that's resonating with someone, remember it, soul to soul, not roll to roll, or not just roll to roll. And then we worked with our kids on that same principle. You know, if I learn something or something's really resonating with me, I've come to really believe that as a parent, why not share it with my children, mm-hmm. you know, and then they can integrate it in their own time, but at least give the space and opportunity for them to be more self-aware so that they'll be up and running with their gifts at age 21 versus having to wade through so much psychic debris as I've had to do in my life. So I have a question for you because yeah. I, I so resonate with that grocery store bit. Like I have really made a conscious effort. Um, I shop at three different grocery stores and occasionally I'll go to Costco. It's not too far. Um, but you know, I'll go for like those big items, but there's three grocery stores and one is it's kind of, it's, it's a local grocery store. It's like a whole foods, but it's locally owned and it's, you know, a mile from my house. So it's like a no brainer. But, um, my daughter went with me a couple months ago and she's like, mom, how do you know everybody here? Right. Cause I, I'm going through the cashier and he's asking me, how did my steak turn out or my meat that he helped me with the week before? Right. But I go in there and I feel like we're so disconnected with technology and electronics. And, um, now this, I go in there and I put my phone away. It's in my pocket. Like I want to connect with people. You know, and that's where I I think about like, you know, yes, I want to change the world and I have this radio show and I have the work that I do and I coach the swim team and, but like, how can I help change the world in just small moments? Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's like putting my phone in my pocket and actually having a conversation and caring and connecting with the cashier or the bagger or the butcher, whoever may be the person I come into contact with in the grocery store, um, is that what you're talking about, that soul to soul? Like you are actually two people connecting and um, getting to know each other. Is that what you mean? Yes, I, that is what I mean. Um, really taking responsibility for the energy that you're bringing to every situation as part of a larger contribution to our world, to our planet, to other people. Um, I'll, I, and perhaps it might explain where I even started feeling soul to soul. I was walking one day right near where I live at near Northwestern University in Evanston, Illinois, outside of Chicago. And it was a beautiful day. And I was walking along and all of a sudden, about 30 minutes in my walk, I looked over across the street and there was a lawn care worker. And Corin, it was all of a sudden I stopped dead in my tracks and this energy began moving up and down my body. My scalp was tingling. My eyes pricked with tears. And I, I had a very breathless like feeling and it was pure ecstasy. And that moment I dropped into this space where soul to soul was the absolute truth. There was only oneness. There was not separation between us. It was like the same oneness, same awareness, but in different bodies in different roles. Um, And that lasted for several seconds. It was the greatest ecstasy I've ever known. And that once that doorway is opened, which is possible for everyone, whether they've ever had an experience like that or ever will, just, again, being quiet with the truth of soul to soul, um, that right then and there changed my life. And I knew that it was possible to really begin to relate to people, even if, you know, even if no words are spoken. I didn't even exchange words with the lawn care worker. But I walked away and I was moved um, greatly by that experience. So say, you know, you're in a parking lot and the, the ballet parker or something, you know, doesn't treat you as, as well as you'd like, you know, a part of you 
can be mad at that, that human side, and even speak your truth on that. But once you've had some soul-to-soul experience or once you're beginning to practice that in the very same space and both, yes, this human being in front of me just really made me mad and I'm going to tell him I don't appreciate how it's treated, but your, your capacity for what I call the big love expands. So it's not just little love for those who are mine in my family, my children, my mother, my favorite students. There's a big love for all of humanity. Like they're worthy no matter what, no matter how they treat you, no matter if they disagree with you or agree with you or like you, um, soul to soul opens the space for that. So it's just really expanding perspective on, on what we see and how we relate. And what you just said, how you are in the grocery store, that's what it looks like in a human body. You know, that's how you walk in and your eyes are open and your heart is open and you're willing to interact with another soul. Or even just I stared one time I was in my local Safeway and I was staring at the bagger as he bagged my groceries and I dropped right back into that soul to soul space. I it was an unbelievable love for him. My body was tingling, my scalp, the, the whole thing. I call that my divine flow energy feeling. And everyone has the capacity for that. That is not some big mystical thing. You know, we all have moments where you feel it where you, the energy is moving in your body or you're, you get goosebumps on your arms. And um, it's just kind of really blending relative truth. Yeah, this is a bagger and a mom getting her groceries and absolute truth. This is two souls that really share the same space that are part of the same oneness. So I hope that helps. It's, it's all about, yeah, relative and absolute. Can you blend it in a third perspective and make that your new lens? And sometimes it's easier than others, but it is possible to become more and more, come more and more from that lens, even if it's just by degrees, even if it takes, as it's taken for me, 25 years to fully integrate. I have a question for you, Wink, because you said something, and it's because it's a practice that I'm working on. So you said the love that you have for the bagger. What do you mean? Well, it becomes a feeling of, I don't know, my journey really, I really it was a journey that took me deep within a journey through my own interior, not on the, you know, we think it's this big outside journey. For me, it's been a a journey of greater intimacy with my own soul. And one day I was actually working to heal my liver um, at the time. And I was sitting and I was loving my liver. I had been uh, to this beautiful channel and she said, you know, part of this would be actually sitting and touching your liver and appreciating what your liver does. Look it up on Google. Do you even know what your liver does? And in, in touching where your liver is and just in appreciation. And all of a sudden I went deeper than my liver, than my body. The body's a beautiful gateway and we can talk more about that. It's the tr- but I, into a place of self-love where self-love merges with oneness in my core. Um, that's to me kind of what it's, it's, it's felt like. It's, it's this core space deep within that's connected to all and it's a, it's a blend of self-love, the individuated vehicle that I am, and at the very same time, knowing that ultimately there is no individuation. So Does that answer your question? Just interrupt me. I'm sorry. Yeah, you. No, you're doing great. Um, okay. So, because years ago, I did an interview with Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and one of the things, she's the woman, for the listeners out there who don't know who she is, um, that she had a stroke. And she wrote the book, My Stroke of Insight, and she was a Harvard-trained neuroanatomist. And we wound up going more into the connection piece that you're talking about. This is what's resonating for me. And that, you know, being being mindful of the energy you bring into a space because we're all connected. And that's what it sounds like when you're talking about the love that you felt for the bagger, right? It mm-hmm. wasn't a, like a lusting thing. It was this no, connection. No. It was that you could feel that while you may not be touching, that there was this connection that we are all connected. Yes. And so part of the journey, I love that. I love Jill Bolte-Taylor and I love it because she was a scientist and then mm-hmm. has experienced this. So there's credibility because a lot of people want that scientific aspect too. But um, it's what was hard for me on this journey in some ways is that I would understand and feel the connectedness. And then also a big part of my life's work, because um, I was brought up to be a real people pleaser and put others ahead of myself, <laughs> was boundaries. So then that would seem kind of paradoxical, you know, like, well, you need to create boundaries, but then we're all one. And I was feeling this oneness. And eventually I've really, really come 
to part of the awakening journey for me has been not resisting the paradoxes, but resting within them so that there's no, I don't feel any contradiction about talking about connectedness and boundaries. They're both true. It depends on how you look at it. That's why I love talking about things from the blended being perspective. Yes, share with me the universal challenge of being human, um, what's going on, and what's like in your human you know, reality. But then can we also look at, talk about, focus upon um, the larger aspect in what this has to do on a soul level, on the oneness level, and then find a way to blend the two. So I think... Um, I just want to say that that it become resting within the paradoxes is a really really big aspect of this journey. Moving from black and white to a lot more gray and being okay with contradiction because it's really how you look at it. Paradoxes are everywhere on this earth plane. Hot, cold, black, white, tall, short, you know, that's just and really accepting that. And to me the awakening journey really brings that to the forefront. So anything that you look at has its light and dark aspects. You know, when your child's looking looking at colleges, there's a light and dark aspect to the different choices, and it just comes up all the time. And it's 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 wonderful. It makes living a lot more delightful to be okay with that and not resist it so much. Well, I love how you do this integration, right? Of uh, whether it's the theory and the applicable, and then also how do we integrate it in our real life, right? It's not going off and to some retreat someplace and that's the only space that you can have it, but how it gets integrated in every aspect of our lives. Yeah. To me, it's all about um, the best, the best place to awaken is right in your beautiful unfolding life. The curriculum is laid out. It is right there. If you need a curriculum, you're looking at situations with your kids. You're looking at a trip to the grocery store. Um, You're finding ways to balance both community and solitude things which I think are both very much needed. You're balancing busyness with um, more beingness. Um, you learn that even when you're busy, when you're connected to that soul space, you can be unbusy within the busyness. In other words, you don't have to be in chaotic on the inside just because you're busy on the outside. So there are all these different kind of shifts that begin to take place. Again, you circle back, you know, from role to soul, you might understand what that means you basically move from just looking at things as role to role and you move more from to soul to soul, but it takes life experience. It takes looking at your own life, living your own life um, to grow that self-awareness. And so really then there's the barometers, your own life. I was just looking at colleges with my oldest, just got back from St. Louis last night and I was sharing with my, I run soul to soul circles. I was sharing with the women this morning. It's just amazing that I, I, I get, this is her unfolding life. I can be a guide, I can offer insight, and I realize I don't really have an egoic agenda about where she goes to school. It could be, come to me, you know what, I want to go to a community college and get some hours in before I decide. It could be, yep, I think I'm going to apply to Wash U in St. Louis, and really um, untethering myself, my ego, from a need for her college choice to validate me in some way, to in some way make me worthy. And that's true freedom. And that's nice when your own life begins to be a barometer for um, your own awakening journey. You know, no one can really tell you how far you've awakened or how clear you are, how close you are to your own soul, Um, but you begin to see it pretty clearly. So are you able to let her go on her path because you've done your own work? You know, I think so. There's just a trust does begin to develop that even... Um, we have a saying in our family, from woe is me to grow is me. <laughs> so even when something occurs that, you know, from, again, a human perspective would be, gosh, darn, you know, that is not good. Um, a blended perspective would be much more like, hmm, isn't that interesting how this is unfolding? Let me get quiet a minute and we'll take action on that, whatever action naturally kind of develops. So in one, you're like, oh, darn it, I can't believe, you know, my kitchen just flooded. In another, you know, the larger perspective that all really is well, you know, and you kind of are simultaneously living the two. So yes, with it now with my parenting, and I've been at this, you know, my kids are older now, and um, I've shared my journey with them. I've grown a lot in my self-awareness. It really does become 
you become much more okay with how your child's life unfolds because the, the greater your own sense of self and self-worth, the less you need the outer world to provide that for you, including your spouse, your children, whatever all your various roles are, you become much more self-sustaining. A lot of your beliefs even begin to fall away in a sense. You know, you just kind of you move through life moment to moment, day to day, soul to soul. You trust the unfoldment. You trust that you'll be present enough and clear enough to, to take the next step, whatever that is, without needing to be in a rigid belief system. This is how it's done. These are my beliefs. Um, I'll give you one more example because I hope this is helping, and then please cut me off. But, um, you know, I was a vegan for a while. It, now, um, much more, it's, I don't need to declare myself a vegan. I'm not a vegan anymore, but I wouldn't even need to say I am a vegan. It's just I am. I am Annie. And when I feel like eating meat, I'll eat it. And if I don't feel like eating meat for four <laughs> weeks, then I won't. And if I feel like an egg, then I will. So that's a big difference than declaring I am a vegan and needing to then live your life according to what a vegan is. That's much different than just I am. And moment to moment, day to day, and soul to soul, I will move within my unfolding life with gratitude. Um, I hope that kind of helps explain it to people. You know, it's interesting that you say that because just this week I was talking with a client and I say, I just said, I don't, I, I'm very deliberate in not belonging to any food tribe, right? Because there's mm -hmm. all these different, whether it's vegan, vegetarian, paleo is really big right now, gluten-free, there's all these different food tribes. And then in my own community, there's some that are just local, right? Um, and I, I, I really don't want to do that. And, um, and when you say that, it's like, oh, and I, I totally resonate because it's I, I'm Karen, right? This is this is who I am, and I want to meet myself with where I am. So if if I go someplace and I want to eat something, and that that lines me up, and that's something that my body's calling for, then I'm going to eat that. Versus, I think when if I would declare certain things, then what happened for me was like this inner gladiator would come out like and say, no, but this is what I do. And then, you know, you have to like mm -hmm. prove it. And a lot of my friends who for different reasons, right, um, whether it's for health reasons or what uh, a girlfriend just came back from a family trip from the East Coast and she was saying, you know, she's gluten free and and it's sh she had to use a lot of energy to kind of defend it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because everybody else is like, why are you doing it? It's a fad. And and um and so I think for me, just to not have to join a tribe, I can go about doing my thing that I want to do that works for me. Does that make sense? Totally. That's exactly. I love how we're both, it takes different articulations of, because there aren't words for some mm -hmm. of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Yes, I, I, that's exactly what it is. And it's, I think it's going, one of the shifts for me has been also moving from role to soul, but also from path to no path in the sense that, um, you know, you might love running. It's just something that you love to do. You might run a marathon. If you look in the Chicago Tribune and you're like, oh, there's the Chicago Marathon. But it doesn't become a path. There's a big difference um, because then we can sometimes get really lost or stuck on a path. And then we're not really open to living from soul. Because living from soul in some ways is a much more spontaneous way of being. You're meeting the present with your presence. Um, so yes, again, this is, it becomes more, no path becomes a little more primary path. I am a lawyer. I am this, any tagline, I, even I am American, any tagline you want to add on, it's still there, but it's, it moves to a secondary position. And the primary is I am Annie. And that is enough. And that's enough to navigate my world day in and day out. That's, that's what I've found. So it's kind of like you're on, I don't even call myself a spiritual seeker anymore. There, there, a lot of ruckus became apparent on that path. It started to feel very crowded with even, you know, the spiritual but not religious path or whatever that is. Um, it started to feel very loud, filled with lots of ruckus, filled with a lot of things that were superfluous. And so even all that began to kind of, to shed away. It's, it's a very, very interesting process and it doesn't happen overnight. You know, um, you just begin to contemplate some of these things and you begin to feel perhaps, perhaps not the truth for you, but it's very freeing to just live more from soul. I am right now. I'm Annie. 
you know, in this particular vehicle, this form, I am Annie, and, and that's enough. It's, it's very exciting. Oh, I like that. I am Corinne, and that's enough. See, Annie, yeah. I'm a recovering approval whore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And, 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 and it just has to be, I have to say it that way because uh-huh. I love it. that just like all of a sudden catches me because even like, and I've been aware of this for quite a bit of time. And last year I was on this uh, strategic task force for a school district and I'm, I have a huge background in education and I taught in higher ed, but, uh, so there's, there's a passion piece for it. And I was, I was watching myself as I was getting up to speak and all of a sudden I started to hustle. This is like day two, I think. And partly probably fatigue because these were like 12 hour days. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I am whoring myself out. I am hustling for these people to think that I am smart and I'm worthy of being here. I already got the gig. I'm already here. Just show Mm -hmm. up, right? I already have the appointment. And so, and it's interesting because now when I, but so now that I can name it and I have that label, I can step out of it really quickly as well. Um, Yes. That's self-awareness, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And that's what we want for, for others. The thing is, when we come more from that, it's a, it's a cleaner place because mm-hmm. there aren't as many roles and masks and personas. It's, it, it, I think it's our place of being a clearer vehicle, actually, for spirit and the oneness. But um, it's clearer than our presence when we're with other people. And really what we're inviting them to do, whether we say it or not with words, is we're inviting them to come as they are that we don't need them to prove their validity, their worthiness through all the roles, all the labels, all the taglines. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a, actually a, a tremendous contribution to our world, going back to that missing piece spelled both ways. Um, it's what we're talking about, I think, you know, well, now. You know, it's so interesting because, so this morning I ran over to the coffee shop because I was out of beans and I ran into this woman that I met a week ago and um, she and she was processing, and she goes, you know, you triggered me, and not, and it wasn't in a bad way, but she, and I, we didn't really go into it. But she's like, it's all really good. She's like, it's helped me get to more um, clear about what she wants, right? And it wasn't like there wasn't a confrontation. I really don't know what. I think it was just me showing up with the armor down and being like really, really present. And granted, the space that we were in allowed for that. We had this container for it, you know, where I can. I mean, in this. This will be counterintuitive for my listeners because I'm pretty much an introvert and I can kind of hide back. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think even when we first met, like I kind of sat back for a bit um, before I stepped forward, right? When we met in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, But so it's interesting. And I was thinking just this morning, I was like, gosh, you just never know the impact that you have on somebody else, right? Going back to that theme of how can you change the world? How can you help it be a better place? And by me just showing up, not hustling, but me just showing up in, you know, my authenticity mantra is be me rooted in, in wholeheartedness. But oh, by being me and letting myself be me, it's like that enough piece, right, that we also struggle with. This mm-hmm. woman got some insight for herself. Yeah, right. And, and then it's up to her to mm-hmm. trust that trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, and we look at trigger, we immediately would be like, oh, was it a good trigger? It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like she, for some reason, being with you, triggered something in her to look a little bit more closely. Mm-hmm. So it's really just taking a, a closer look. And I think conversation like this or the women's circles that we do, it, um, it really supports one another. It's, there is a big, there's a lot of truth in that, that um, it, we make it okay for one another to begin to live um, more, more true. You know, like I'm a big, I can be very, I can be extroverted, but I definitely lean towards introverted. And I just, I love time with my soul. And I think that's kind of a natural outcome when you begin to self-explore. It's just, there's, there's so much to contemplate and there's such a, a friendship and dialogue that even begins to occur, occur with your, the inner world becomes very, very rich. And it becomes, like I said, pretty Mm self-sustaining. And so the outer world is there and you're a part of it and you're, you know, very grateful for it and walk in wonderment in some ways at the beauty of it. Or even the things that aren't, don't look so pretty. It's kind of that third perspective allows space for um, even an argument or anger to be really beautiful in its own way. 
you know, um, versus even some of the things happening in our world. There's a tremendous possibility for for growth and for expansion, and there's beauty in that. Okay, so you're going to have to expand on that. Anger can be beautiful in our own way. Now, Harriet Lerner has been a frequent guest on the show, you know, and she wrote The Dance of Anger. But I'd like to hear your perspective of how anger can be beautiful in its own way. Yeah, I just feel like anger is something in a way, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an energy force, and it can really create change. And sometimes for those of us like myself who were taught to put myself last and people please, um, anger and being able to express anger and being true, truthful to myself and to another, even if sometimes it's come out in a burst of anger or something, has been a very, very positive thing for me versus stuffing down my truth and being afraid to be heard. I was taught to fly under the radar. Don't shine too brightly. Don't rock the boat too much. Don't, you know, that was just, so a part of my growth has been not only, you know, the light aspects of myself, but also seeing um, the light aspects and some what people would claim are not so good things. So my learning how to be more assertive, even if the first couple tries might come out a little more angry, and that's usually not my way, but I just look at it like there can be some good when someone finally expresses their truth, even if it's in a burst of anger, mm-hmm. you know, or I, even with our body and illnesses, I've used my body many times. I had a huge back issue, could barely walk for a year, ended up in surgery. But I learned so much from that year about myself, about, so this is what it feels like to be fully incapacitated. And it hit me nine months in, you know what? I'd be able to love myself anyway. I love myself anyway, even if I can never walk up right again, or even all these things. And I also looked at, you know, it's a lower chakra, lower back. I did a lot of work with my, my mother complex and that, that role of playing small and holding back and, um, and had some wonderful conversations with my mother about asking her from her own lips, will you give me permission to be fully myself? And so what, wonderful, what a wonderful year. It was a beautiful year, and yet I've never been in such physical pain before in my life. So it's where those two cross our humanity and the, the oneness, the soul aspects, that's a blended being who's going to take a difficult challenge, who's going to take an angry situation and take on a third blended perspective, that it's not just all good or all bad, and try and see the different angles. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd like you to talk more about that playing small, because I think a lot of the listeners do that, right? I'm yeah. not good enough you know, who would, who do I think I am? That's a voice that I think it all, we can all resonate with. So can you share your story about playing small? Yeah, it was just something that's been passed down. Um, I think on my mother's side, very, you know, my mom was, I'm close to her. She's a pretty young mom. She's 65. I'm 44. And, um, but I think that was the imprint that she got in order to be safe in the world you know, by the age of five, six, seven, this is imprinted in our subconscious, um, you, you play small. You don't shine too brightly. Um, you don't get out there and live your truth. That's scary. That's unsafe. And so that was lovingly and well-meaningfully handed down to me subconsciously by my mother. I think for a lot of us, and maybe it's also the collective consciousness of women too, you know, there's a lot going on energetically. I always like to say there's the top layer, the layer that we see and that we're aware of, and that's a real layer. But there's another very, very real layer, the energetic layer that comes along with an illness or a challenge or anything in life. So I always look for those two layers and how can they overlap and where's the truth in the blend of those two. But um, yeah, it, that's been my, one of my biggest life themes is really that self-love piece. And for me, it really showed up in a negative way. Um, I have I had an issue with what I call extreme empathy, where um, not so much like, oh, I'm out saving the world, although sometimes I did feel like, you know, oh, I need to help and save and fix. But even just the view, my, the lens through which I saw the world was always through the other person's perspective first. Like, what would that feel like for them? And it was very, there was a lot of self-betrayal in that. And we think it's so compassionate, you know, to be so generous and so empathetic and so, but it really, um, I found it to be quite detrimental to myself and actually to another because I wasn't living true. 
and there was a lot of self-betrayal in that. And I would personally rather have someone show up and speak their truth and be true than, you know, wear a mask of extreme empathy or, you know, there are all these different masks. We think of empathy as a great thing and it is, but if it's out of balance, if it's extreme, that's just another shadow, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> or if someone who's overly generous or who just, you know, wants to go save the world, they might be doing quote unquote good work in Africa, but is that work coming from a place of wholeness or to fill a void of not feeling loved? Um, so this work kind of forces, and again, it's ongoing. This has been years and years and years, but it just forces us to look at things deeper, wider, higher, broader, and more truthfully. You, you know, as you're talking about that, like how empathy can be great, right? What One of the things that I found in just my own work is that it all, uh, my big metaphor is a tree and um and it's so things it depends on where things are rooted so when you have empathy and it's rooted in self-compassion or love right you're not hustling out there you still have your own back but then you can give empathy because you you fill that up inside of yourself versus when i was rooted you know in fear or shame then when i'm giving empathy i'm doing it because i am trying to uh you know whore myself out i'm getting other people's approval for it because that yeah. well is so i'm doing what i think the role of what I quote should do, right? Which is a huge judgment word. Mm-hmm. And so I yeah. think a lot of times it's like, okay, where am I rooted as I'm taking this action? Because what can look intentionally and it can look, you know, societally great, but what is, where am I rooted? And, and cleaning up that part first before I go take action. So, you know, Very, oh, beautifully stated. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's right. You're, that's a wonderful metaphor. Some people see this is what a conversation is so good at. I mean, to bring in that metaphor, that just brought it home. Mm-hmm. You know, that it, it makes so much sense, your tree and the root, how you stated that. Mm-hmm. And in our relationships, you know, sometimes I can get a bit esoteric in the way I, I share things. And my husband, who, you know, has not read the metaphysical <laughs> books or been down this path, he just, he's very, very good with real life metaphor. Mm-hmm. So we have family discussions with our kids and I'll start talking about something and he'll say, okay, kids, this is how I'm seeing it. And it's just what you just did, the tree metaphor, whatever that is. And it's such, such a neat thing. We all, we all have so much to offer. Like any listener out there would be just right in on this conversation. That's, you know, we're part of the shift is moving from top down model to mutuality. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a great example of that. You know, what are your thoughts on this? How have you felt a little bit more self-love and what people come up with? It's just, it's amazing. We're all teachers and students. students and teachers, teacher, student live within both, all of us, you know. So thank you for that metaphor. So I can't believe our time is coming to an end. It's been way too fast. Um, But I have a couple questions before the takeaway. And one is the question of what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn? Gosh, I think what we touched on um, it just a bit that, that self betrayal piece mm-hmm. that often in the name of <laughs> empathy, generosity, I'm a good girl. I'm a kind person. Um, I wasn't being kind to myself and it's it, it's self betrayal. Oh, now I can feel it. Even when I'm, I'm, I'm speaking and I'm in a conversation and I begin to somehow, you know, cut myself down, throw myself under the bus, um, I I can feel it immediately in my lower back. I can feel this kind of weird feeling in my heart. And so a big takeaway for me has been um, to be okay with protecting myself a little bit. You know, even if I'm mid-sentence, I might have to say, oh my gosh, excuse me for a minute and go walk away with my feet on the ground, ground myself and come back into my center before I continue. And I call that front end work versus back end work. Begin to feel it on the front end. Be self-aware on the front end before you've given all of your power away, before you've betrayed yourself. Because as you and I both know, that can then take days to, to come back. Or then you've, you know, there's a lot of emotional baggage that needs to be worked through and sh- just to be a little bit more self-aware on the front end, I would say versus wait and then deal with things on the back end when there's a lot more psychic debris to deal with. Oh, I really like that. I like that front end work because the back end work, then there's regret and remorse and self beatings. Right. Front end self-awareness would be a great visual cue. I, I had visual cues up for years because 
it just, it helped me, it helped my family on my kitchen cabinets, on bathroom mirrors, on my bedside table, on my closet doors. Like if front end awareness is something that hits someone today and it's, it's, it's a, it will be a, a, a cue to remember that. I think that's really important in the beginning. Yeah. I love that. And then what is the mantra you live by? Gosh, um, I think, you know, it really has to be soul to soul. Yeah, I love the word soul. And I, for me, it just not much more even needed, just soul to soul. And I, I'm brought back into remembering um, the absolute truth of things. And it, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's just immediate. It opens my heart to, to the big love versus the little love. That's awesome. Okay. And a couple of takeaways for the listeners today. Um, gosh, I think that, um, one of the busy, one of the, one of the big things for me was just allowing myself to really begin to, to live true and to get to know myself uh, better, deeper, and then to be okay with, um, living that way in the outside world. So a takeaway would be that I am Annie and Gosh, I love dolphin diving in the lake when it's it's nice. And I do it every chance I get. And I'm a grown woman and I go along the shore of Lake Michigan. I wade out, get deep enough, and then I do dolphin dive, dolphin dives up and then back. And that would be a great way to, to think of me, to think of remembering to just be yourself. You know, when I look in my kids' eyes and put my hands, both hands, I cup their cheeks and I just say, you have my permission to be fully yourself to come as you are and I will support that. And I think we can look at our own selves in the mirror, cup our own cheeks, look in our own eyes and say, I give you permission to be fully yourself. And to me, that's what the awakening journey is. Ooh, I love that. Annie, thank you so much for being a guest today. It was fun talking with you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad we met. I hope our um, paths cross again. I have a feeling they will. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's a great show. You're doing wonderful work. I, I, I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Well, I really am thankful and grateful that I get to do this work and I get to share it with you. And so much of what Annie said really resonated and some of our language is a bit different, but a lot of the things that we talk about um, just resonated even with our different language and some of the things that I thought about was um, I call it transactional mindset right when we do this work when we do this personal growth and it's like okay I know it and I see my clients struggle with this I know it I've read it I should do better I should know better and I just messed up I said something that was wrong and it takes time and it's and that's why I bring in that word practice because for me being a swimmer to give myself that space I had a career for about 14 to 15 years as a swimmer and there were some great moments and there was a lot of heartache and there were struggles and there were many mornings where I didn't want to get out of bed and go and jump into a pool at five in the morning or six in the morning. But I, I would or sometimes I wouldn't and then the shame that came through. So the life is a journey and it's about how can we practice, how can we show up and reflecting and asking questions. And like Annie said, you know, getting to know, getting that, her word is self-aware right? What is it we want? What is it that is important to us? Um, I think that part is so important, that, tr that, that transformation. And I used to hate that word because I had this transactional mindset. I was like, okay, I went to this workshop, so now I should all be fixed. And why am I having these problems still, right? It's practice. And it's about circling back and looking at that and reflecting and saying, okay, what went well? You know, what didn't feel good? What can I learn from this? Those are compassionate questions that we can ask ourselves. And then part of that, though, is having to own it. I mean, I don't like to own a behavior that I'm not proud of. I want to own the good stuff, right? But, and that's even taken practice for me to own the good stuff. It's taken me a long time. But to own the bad stuff, I don't want to own that. But what I know is that when we can own it and we can see it in a non judgmental way, and we can change it. We can work on that. We can go and say, hey, this is something I don't know how to do. You know, like for instance, one of the things that I talk a lot about is the cooking. So a couple of years ago, I didn't know how to cook. I mean, I can make scrambled eggs and pancakes and I can make baked goods and I can boil pasta. Um, 
and I could pour spaghetti out of a jar, spaghetti sauce out of a jar. That was kind of where I was at. I mean, I, I can even boil eggs, hard boil eggs. And a friend had to like send me a really long text with very specific instructions. But once I was willing to own it and go, okay, I don't know how to. And the big driving force for me was more rooted in this place of, in some ways, shame because I was a crazy parent in the kitchen. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, it has to be perfect. It has to be like this. And there was so much fear and every action I took in the kitchen wasn't great. Um, and then, but that was a catalyst. And then I said, okay, if that's not the parent I want to be. That's not the parent who I am. Right. And that's not the relationship I want to cultivate. I want to cultivate a safe place in the kitchen like we have in other areas. And so I made a decision that I was going to learn how to cook and I had to give myself permission to ask for help. Right. And what I did was I thought about who could help me and who could I ask. And this lovely friend that I just love dearly, and she's the nicest person on the planet I know, the definition of nice. And I asked her, I said, would you mind? And the first dish that she taught me was um, making taco salad. And it was something that we talked about years before when we were in book club. And I really liked it. And she's like, oh, it's really simple. You just do boop, boop, boop. And that was beyond, like, I didn't know how to cut an onion. And I didn't know how to brown hamburger meat, let alone buy hamburger meat. This, so this is where I was. And I owned that story. And I found somebody that was really, really safe. Because I needed that little step, right, where I could be safe. I, it was like me going to preschool and learning how to cook. Um, where some other people would look at that and go, really, what's the big deal? You know, you throw in some meat. For me, I needed it very, very basic. And I needed that safe place. So knowing what you need and what support you need as you step into these different arenas that are going to bring up your vulnerabilities, right? Because I have this belief that, you know, I can do it. I can do it alone. I'm capable. I'm able to do stuff. But, and then for cooking, it was like, well, I'll just go find people to do that, right? Because I didn't want to make myself vulnerable. And what if I made food that tasted really badly, right? I didn't want people to be able to judge that part of me because that was an area that I just decided a long time ago, I can't be perfect in it. So why even bother to try? And that's interesting because I wasn't even planning on sharing that story. But so transformation, it takes time and it's practice and it's it's about going inside. I get that. I know sometimes my clients struggle because they're like, how come this isn't happening fast enough? And it's it just practice. And how can you incorporate it? You know, as Annie was talking about, you know, incorporating the inside work and the outside work. And, you know, a lot of times when I'm driving in the car, sometimes my days are so full that that car may be my alone time. You know, I'm not a person. I try, I've tried meditating. I taught yoga, done all that stuff. But being in the car sometimes is that container. You know, and, and this morning I was even thinking to myself, I need to put or I want to put more blocks in my schedule just for downtime, right? Because I will fill it up because there's still that productivity, you know, conditioning in the back of my brain. But creating that space to practice and to process. So when I drive around town and I run these errands, I do think a lot. I reflect a lot. So sometimes I'm listening to a podcast. Occasionally I listen to music. A lot of time there's just silence so that I can get in my own head, right? And that is a great time. I mean, exercise is another time, another opportunity, especially when I go to Bikram, which I just returned back this week. Oh my gosh, my head came out of that space. I was like, because there was all kinds of stuff that was being processed, right? Whereas when I go to the gym and I lift weights, I'm usually listening to a podcast once again. So again, that's information coming in. But I need to create that space or I want to of what's the information I have going inside. And I noticed even this week, I have enough information that's come in. I'm capped out. And what can I do to either sit with the information I have and check in with my own or go and have fun and read a fun book, right? Um, and then the other thing she talked about that made me bring up, think about this story is that many years ago, we just went on this family vacation. I was totally surprised that had nothing to do with the swimming pool. Because most of our vacations have swimming involved in it. We're either coaching or we're running a clinic or we're traveling for a meet. Except for Disneyland, most of our vacations up until 2009 had always incorporated a pool. Uh, it's efficient, right? But we wound up going up to Glacier Park and it was a total side trip. We were going to some national parks, but Glacier wasn't on our path. And then I was on Facebook and people were like, oh, you've got to stop at Glacier. We're coming from Spokane because previously we had been at the Olympic National Forest in Washington. 
And so my husband all of a sudden woke up and said, I want to go left. And I'm like, no, no, we have a destination. We need to get there. So we get up to Glacier and I'm in a piss poor mood. And um, I, we go on the, we go to the ranger station. He tells us the hike because I think at this time my daughters are nine and seven, right? So we need something that's age appropriate for them. We go on this hike and I am just in to, you know, I'm grumpy. And I'm just hiking along. A hike is a hike. What's the big deal? Da 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 da. A tree is a tree. A log is a log. I mean, if you could have heard, seen the bubbles above my head with what I was saying, it was hilarious. I was grumpy, didn't want to be there. It was like, when are we going to get done with this glacier thing so I can get down the big sky so I can see one of my good friends? That's all I cared about. Totally transactional. So I'm hiking along, hiking along by myself because I don't know if my family's ahead there. I think I'm actually ahead, which is pretty interesting because I'm usually the last person. So I'm hiking along. I get to what I think is the end. And I'm like, okay, great. Now I get to turn around. And out of the corner of my eye, I realize that the trail turns right. I'm like, damn, I've got some more to go. So I turn because that's just, that's in me. That's lined up with my values. I, I like things to, you know, I like to finish what I start. I'm not a quitter, right? And so even though if I'd gone 95% of the way, that I needed to finish it out, even though I didn't want to be a part of this journey. So I go around the corner and I get behind the bushes and I see this lake. That was the destination. And all of a sudden, there was just this shedding that occurred. And it's called Avalanche Lake. And for the first time in my life, I felt connected to the earth. I And I appreciated there's water there and there were these glaciers and I just, I was connected. So that connection that she was talking about, that oneness, I felt that there. And, um, you know, now looking back even more right now, as I'm talking about this, the other thing I realized is there was water and water, obviously with me being a swimmer and coaching swimming is really important. That's a way for me to be grounded. And recently when I was in Chicago, actually, when I met Annie, um, I was with another friend of mine. And one night I said, we'd walked, we'd done all the stuff. I said, I need, because we were in the city with a lot of people. It's like, I need to go to Lake Michigan or I need to go to see the river. Like, and, and we couldn't get to Lake Michigan, but fortunately we came across the river and I said, can we just walk down alongside of it? I just needed that because that suits me. There's that grounding. So I really invite you to consider what are the things that ground you? You know, what are the things that can connect you to yourself and bring you back, especially when there's so much stuff that's going on. Like when I was in Chicago, we were out shopping or having restaurants and there's all these people and I got a bit overwhelmed, right? And I and I was with the friend that I love and adore, but I I needed that grounding and water, just seeing it, just being next to it was what did it for me. So my question for you as I leave you is, what it, what is it that grounds you? And go ahead and if it, you can test out the water, like still my stuff to start your path and then go fit, find your own, right? Because sometimes that, that, oh, what's the right answer is really hard for us. And instead it's about what, um, what can I start with and then go from there? Let me know how that goes. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really, 
ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide awake.